What do you, uh, when you're not doing, uh, when you're not in the classroom, what are, you, what are you working on these days or playing with these days? Well, virtual reality is one of those things. Yeah? And what, what are the toys, the, the gadgets you're playing with? Uh, we use Unity here. Okay. Um, which is a 3D engine that uh, supports Oculus. And um, it can very easily test and prototype content. Again, we are very interested in the content, not really about you know right. the technology itself. Um, um, I also play a lot with Arduino, of course. Um, very interested in virtual puppeteering. Um, what is that? Virtual puppeteering. Virtual puppeteering is basically performance-based animation. If you <laughs> if there is something like that. Oh, um, so you like uh, track somebody and then they're animating a physical character in real time? Is that the idea? I don't track somebody. I track a hand. Okay. So it's like virtual animatronics, uh, okay. where you're using your hand as you would use it with a normal puppet, um, a glove puppet or a sock puppet, some people call it like that, uh -huh. and uh, you have a virtual version of, of the uh, visual uh, on the screen, and you're performing, basically. And you can do this with other people, um, with lots of puppets, in the same virtual world, um, even from different locations. So this is something I'm very interested in because it's it's connected to my background in animation, mm -hmm. uh, where... Although puppetry know, is not really an animation. Definitely not animation. And it is a huge difference. Uh, <laughs> a big difference is, well, animation is frame by frame business, and it's very linear, and you're producing films. Yeah. Right? Um, but there is also something else. You are controlling a digital puppet when you do 3D animation, for example. You are. Yeah. You are controlling it, but it's not uh, live. You are. It's not alive. You're teaching it in a way. You yeah. are telling the puppet what to do. Exactly. Yes. When you have a physical puppet, or you use your hand as a performance, um, there will be biomechanical constraints. First of all that your hand is capable of doing. That's true. You will do secondary motion, like if you use your your index finger to drive the head of a physical puppet, uh, you can't do that without moving other fingers. It's you, just mm -hmm. impossible. And that's going to actually create some very interesting motion in the puppet. It will just become like a breathing um, thing there on your hand that communicates. Mm -hmm. So I did some experiments with it. Um, involving kids and um, I was curious you know if kids will be able to use this in a in a traditional way so if they see a virtual puppet on the screen it's not on their hand uh, how would they react what would they do would they engage would they do storytelling and it's very interesting because in about two minutes when they figure out how this works they will start talking to the screen like in the same way how they play with dolls, you know, and things like that, they would actually do conversation. While they're manipulating it? While they're manipulating it, and they will actually talk to the puppet, and then they will mimic the puppet talking back to them. Mm. So it will be impersonation. Like, like doll playing, maybe. Exactly, like doll playing. And when you have more kids, they will start doing interaction, and they will start chasing the screen and all kind of things that I didn't think mm. is going to happen. And if you look at, um, you know, other mediums like games or um, films, you never see kids interacting with the screen that way. You never see them talking to the screen hmm. uh, because it's so unnatural. But this way, 
because the performance is in real time coming back through the screen, it doesn't feel unnatural. Mm. So this is something that's interesting. That, um, was part of my research, um, and uh, it was or is it, it is still part of my research. I presented this at SeaGraph, and um, it's an ongoing project because mm. it's so huge and there's so many things to figure out. Which the last SeaGraph in LA? Or? No, it was in uh, in Singapore actually in 2012. Oh, the SeaGraph Asia event. Yes. Yeah, that was convenient, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really interesting because I was thinking, like, if you were another option that I immediately thought of, the obvious thing is that you would track somebody's full body and then they would be animating the puppet that way. But that's sort of like immersing the person in the puppet, like they're taking over the puppet. The puppet is their body. Whereas if it's uh, on their hand, it's still kind of like something else, right? It's yes. sort of more of a third-person experience. Exactly. Yeah. When you motion capture someone, an actor, mm -hmm. they will they will actually give out their personality and they will, you know, act something out. Right. Right. I mean, uh, there's they don't exist anymore there as a as a private person. When you have a puppeteer. It's a different story because yeah. there's still the puppeteer and the puppet, uh, two people there actually, yeah. <laughs> two personalities. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's a fun research, really. Any other projects you want to tell us about? Well, I'm working on another project which is involving um, color tracking. I use it a, a um, color-coded interface. Mm -hmm. Which is using a special little open source <laughs> camera again called Pixie. Yeah, Pixie. Right. Uh, Pixie is uh, is a great little camera. It can um, it has onboard uh, computer vision and color block tracking, and it can uh, make difference between seven signatures, seven different colors, and also combinations of them. So if you put two colors next to each other, it's a new signature. Okay. Which gives him a lot of variations, really. So I built a little prototype of an interface where you create music by placing um, colorful blobs, uh, little blocks actually on a, uh, a little um, interface that I printed out as a, as a template. Uh, it's essentially it's a sequencer. <laughs> right. So interface, I think you've mentioned this to me before, it, it's a MIDI, a MIDI Interface. It uses a MIDI, um, yeah. and um, th there are certain positions where you put your uh, the, the position of the color block and the color of the block defines what uh. you're gonna hear, what note you're gonna hear, and you can define the instrument. And um, if you put two color blocks next to each other, you can turn it into a knob, which turns, and you can adjust uh. volume and things like that. So you can actually build tangible interfaces with this. Hmm. Um, for anything. Do the two blocks stick together in some fashion when you turn them? With magnets, yes. Oh, two, oh, oh I see, okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And so, have you shown this or to any children or anybody else besides yourself? How are they yes, uh, I have, uh, my daughter is my... I was thinking about your daughter. Permanent assistant. <laughs> <laughs> Did she enjoy it? She, she enjoyed it very much. She's she was always involved in these projects and 
Um, so you have a work uh, a work permit home of some sort? Or? Yes, she, she was soldering a circuit board when she was like eight years old. That's awesome. Wow. So she's a she's an engineer and a ballerina. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, do you think that you could use that sequencer to teach people about music? I think I can. I think definitely kids would would like it um, because you can actually uh, remember what what color defines what note quite quickly and you can put them in order and you can create simple melodies that way and you can cancel them out by uh, tipping them over because only the top of the block is colored the sides are black so it's it's very interesting experience you know to, to play with it um, it seems like something that at least visual people get a lot more than say sheet music Yes, music theory or something like that. It's very playful. Ooh.